now you <laughs> until 2.30, right? Okay. Okay. So I'm, um, I'm Esther. Um, I graduated in 2019 from IHI. I do want all of you to call me Esther because within the next three, three or less years, you will all be my colleagues and hopefully I'll be working with some of you out in the field. So you can get used to calling me by my first name. Um, I joined Samaritan's Purse. I just got back from working in Togo for two and a half months. I went early and I'm now gonna be going to Switzerland for six months to learn French. And then I'm gonna head back to Togo for two years. Liza Kessling is at the Southern Hospital in Togo. I'm at her sister hospital in the North, Northern Togo. Um, I love it. This is what I wear <laughs> in the hospital. So much fun. All right, so case one, we're gonna go through a lot of cases, lots of fun, fun things that are different about Togo. So you're in Togo, West Africa, you're doing triage at the gate um, of the compound today. It's a real life case. There's a one-year-old who's lethargic. Suddenly she starts eyes rolling in the back of her head. She's going unconscious. You yell to your translator, we need to get to the ER now. And the translator translates that and everyone's like, okay. And then they just move slowly. What are you gonna do? You're just gonna do A. You're gonna snatch that child. Show of hands. All right, we got one kidnapper here. <laughs> All right, who's gonna do B? All right, we got two people. Who's gonna do C? All right, and the rest of you, what are <laughs> people who didn't raise their hands? You're just thinking about it. All right. Um, the right answer in this culture is that I snatch that child and I sprint with everything within me to the ER. And I do that over and over and over and over again. Um, the other long-term missionaries do this. So this is the standard practice, standard of care in our hospital. And <laughs> here in Oklahoma, somebody go pull a pistol. No, like, um, I will grab children and I will run and I, I, all of my skirts, by the way, the, the Togo standard is a, is a pencil cut. I have to get mine A-line because there's lots of sprinting involved. And some of those kids are like super heavy and I'm, you, you know, so I, I need to start working out carrying sacks of potato. I need a lot of exercise. So that's the introduction to Togo. So this is where Togo is on the map. It's West Africa. I'm up in the north. Um, and this is a little bit about me that I already talked with you guys about. But um, in between that 2019 graduation from IHI and then heading out to Togo, I was a hospitalist here at St. John for three years. I'm with Samaritan's Purse, but I'm supposed to give you this disclaimer that my views are my own, not necessarily that of Samaritan's Purse. And does anyone know who this lovely gentleman is? Yes. <laughs> I went to orientation and I got to sit beside him and meet him and he's a lot of fun and he likes playing pranks and love pie and got me some pie and I was freaked out like I should be the one getting you pie. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. We're going to go through a whole bunch of, of cases. The fun thing about Togo is that there's very, very different pathology that we commonly see. It's a lot of fun. You jump in and you have to learn all this different pathology. The stuff in bold is the stuff that's the most common. Um, malaria, typhoid, tons of malnutrition, tons of preemies, tons of neonatal sepsis. Um, 
snake bites, we've got antivenom, we have people who try to kill themselves by ingesting herbicide. So keeps you on your toes, that's a premium in the picture. And you can see, I just wanted to share a creatinine of 38.4 is the highest that I have seen thus far. And these people will be walking around looking fine. It's very scary. We're also gonna run through a bunch of specific cases. So skip through that. I'm gonna talk with you briefly about the hospital. I really want people to rotate with me. I think there's tons of opportunity as you can see by the graph that I just kind of threw together in America, we're dealing in, in, a, in the hospital, we're mostly dealing with adults, we're doing CHF, diabetes, bread and butter stuff. Um, those are the rare cases in Togo. You, in Togo, you get really, really, really good at malaria, cerebral malaria, typhoid, preemies, tons of preemies, tons of severe acute malnutrition, quashi or cooler, um, you, know, you name it, neonatal sepsis, so you should come. So I'm gonna cover stuff a lot really, really fast. I do have a separate 242 talk that I'm giving tonight and that's gonna be more mission oriented. This is an academic lecture with lots of cases. So yeah, this is the hospital that I work at and it's really nice facility built about seven years ago, nice and new. And I love the patients and I love the families and I love the nurses that I work with and everybody. All right, case number two, who wants to read it? Is a young male child, about four to seven years old, family's not sure, brought into ER for severe lethargy. There's uh, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, seizures at home times two in the morning. Vitals, looks like he's febrile, tachycardic with 165 heart rate, respiratory rate 22, saturating at 98%. He's ill-appearing, warm to touch, lethargic, tachycardic, but lungs are clear and abdomen soft, not tender down distended. Conjunctiva is very pale. And during the evaluation, he starts screaming as his right arm starts shaking uncontrollably and he urinates on himself. What is most likely going on and what's your next steps? All right, what's going on? Malaria. So this is the bread and butter of Togo. You see it all the time. What's your immediate next steps? <laughs> yeah, you're in the ER luckily with this. Um, you're in the ER, so what are you going to do? ABCs. All right. Um, yes, um, you said anti-malarials. We do watch with fluids. Um, the cerebral malaria kids can get um, fluid overloaded pretty quickly and get cerebral edema. So that. Okay, what else? Yes, what are you going to use? <laughs> we have this whole protocol um, that our protocol starts with Valium. I skip the Valium because it makes it too sedated. I start with Phenobarb 20 mg per kg. Um, then we go to Kepra 20 mg per kg. Then we go to Kepra 10 mg per kg. Then Kepra 10 mg per kg again. Then we go to Phenytoin 20 mg per kg. Then 10 mg per kg. Then 10 mg per kg. Then you switch or flip around and you go to Phenobarb 10 mg per kg. And yes, I've gone through that entire mm -hmm. algorithm on the same person before. <laughs> Um, what else are you going to check? Someone's seizing, altered. I'm sorry, uh, how long do you wait in between giving the meds? Like you give the medication? Yeah, you, you wait a little. little yeah, like what's your time? Um, five to 10 minutes. Um, and you can give, you can give benzos as well as part of that. Like seizing for like 30 minutes. Yeah. It's not fun. 
Thank you. Woo! Blood sugar. All right, so it's malaria with seizures and anemia. So um, I've gotten really good at, I can tell, depending on how pale the conjunctiva is, I know whether I'm gonna need to end up giving blood or not. Um, we do our ABCs, blood sugar, seizure meds, um, draw our labs. Am I gonna give my uh, anti-malarial IV or tessinate before I give that malaria test back or after? After I draw it and before I get the result, the result takes three hours. So we just give it ASAP. Um, why am I going to pick you with this child? I'm sorry, that was a lot of my link. What? <laughs> yes, exactly. So we're going to watch this kid super closely. We just slammed them with phenobarb, so they're going to be super out of it. We're going to need to, they're going to be NPO. We'll, we'll throw down an NG tube. We'll start tube feeds. We'll put a Foley. Um, so do all that. A little bit about malaria. We mostly have falciparum um, for prophylaxis. I take doxy when I'm there, um, but you can take the maloran, mefloquine, mefloquine the, the uh, married women take. Um, and we have, we can do a lot of malaria outpatient, but we do it inpatient if there's, you know, seizures, severe anemia requiring transfusion. We transfuse all the time, by the way. Um, high parasite load, all of that. Um, we give IV artesanate three doses, and then we go to coartem. Case three, who wants to read it? 14 year old girl presents with <laughs> fever and diffuse abdominal pain. She also has had a couple of days of nausea and vomiting. All right, what's your differential in the US? Yes. 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 All right, what's your differential in Togo? Marijuana. <laughs> in the US, yes. <laughs> yeah, you think of worms, especially if there's diarrhea involved, you get a stool sample. We have positive stool samples all the time, which we treat. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to do a good exo abdominal exam, make sure there's not like a. <laughs> with the tenderness. All right, so in Togo, um, you're. The very first thing that you're thinking is that this is typhoid. It's going to be top of your differential that you're going to see typhoid, typhoid, typhoid all day long, all kinds of people. Um, so that's what you're going to do. Now, she's got severe abdominal tenderness. This is, an, again, a real case. Severe abdominal tenderness. She's got voluntary guarding, but no rebound. So are you going to give her some outpatient meds and, and see her for follow-up? No, serial abdominal exams. Admit her. So I was on clinic that day and I did, I pulled out for triage, saw her, saw how severe her abdomen was. So I just walked her to the ER. I learned, don't say, oh, she needs to go to the ER because then it happens 30 to 60 minutes later. I, we walked together to the ER and I just went ahead and my, my ER note was, please see admin note. And my admin note was my admin note. Mind you, I'm on clinic that day. So there's lots of, um, Lots of uh, freedom here. So I, I swung by an hour later and she was being wheeled to the OR. So she had, they did the serial abdominal exams. She got her to meal real fast and they took her in. They found she hadn't perfed yet, but we have, we've had people perf and die, perf code and die on us. So we have to be really, really high index of suspicion. She had everything with the terminal ileum, which is what the typhoid attacks. She did have some inflammation of the distal uh, appendix that's probably just a red herring they took it out anyway 
a little bit about typhoid. Um, we don't even test for it. We just have an extremely high index of suspicion. And we I've, of course, gotten vaccinated for it. Any, everyone who comes should get vaccinated. Our inpatient treatment, IV ceftriaxone, outpatient, we're doing Cipro or Azithro. All right, another hospital photo. This is me hanging out at night on night shift in the NICU with a baby because mom was in the ICU with help syndrome and her husband was next to her. So nobody was with baby. So I was like, I'll just hang with baby. Um, this is my wonderful staff. They are great. Um, when I'm on night shifts, I'm the only doctor who's on. And when I'm on day, there might be one other person covering the ER and helping with some other stuff. We've got two specialties, surgery and medicine. So you do it all. All the medical stuff. It's super fun. All right, this is who wants to read this one? Two year old male brought in for a lethargy and extremely low weight. Looks the size of a one year old, lethargic, no subcutaneous fat, sunken eyes, skin stuck to bone, temporalis muscle wasting, ribs showing. What? So his. Um, He's, he did have the, the belly and the subcutaneous fat and all that. So, um, and this was after two weeks of feeding. So he was even more just skin and bones when we first got him. Um, something for you guys to know about, if you, if you end up doing um, coming, you'll get, you'll get really, really used to the WHO diagnostic criteria for Kwashiorkorn marasmus. Um, you'll be doing weight for length disease score, the arm circumference, um, looking for edema. Um, one thing to know is that because of that, you, the Ukraine-Russia war, wheat, fertilizer, and sunflower oil are no longer getting to Africa. So the cost of all food has gone up already in response. So our people are already were very malnourished, pretty malnourished. Now they're even more so. They were not able to use fertilizer in their crops this year. So I shudder to think about what's going to happen next year. We're going to see way, way, way more of this. You guys have seen charts about the difference between that. So you'll get very, very familiar with the difference between Yorker and Erasmus, and it'll just be normal to see this all the time. Um, you guys know about refeeding. Luckily, I guess luckily, I've had a lot of experience um, being very super on alert for, for look, watching for refeeding syndrome in adults with, with cancer and maybe esophageal cancer, we put in a tube, we start feeding, I'm looking really closely for refeeding syndrome. So I'm really good at that in the US. So now I'm just doing it for kids. So really high vigilance. Um, we have a feeding protocol, we're watching their electrolytes carefully. They also get tons of vitamins. They also get prophylactic antibiotics. As you can see with this axilla, the skin just does terribly, it's cracked, it doesn't heal, it's, they're just high risk for infection. All right, next case. Let's read this. You're in, tri you're in triage and your translator pulls you over to, set a, to a set of twins that are 15 days old and not doing well. Uh, positive subjective fever at home. You see a baby in mom's arms who is very thin and you immediately know she will need to be admitted due to poor weight gain. And for neonatal sepsis workup, then you turn to your right and see the other twin. This twin is emaciated and looks like a Holocaust victim and is gasping for air. What do you do? What are you going to do? Snatch and run. So um, I, yeah, this is not the baby, but this this um, is pre pretty much identical picture of what the baby 
looked like. So it was this bed. The eyes were like open like this. The baby was gasping for air. The baby was skin and bones. Um, so you're going to be dealing with a lot of prematurity, starvation, neonatal sepsis. Um, so we grabbed the child, we go to the ER, threw this child on oxygen immediately, he started breathing better. Um, and then of course we do the whole sepsis workup, we start feeding, we give antibiotics, we do, we do all of this. Um, and you'll get really, really good at neonatal feeding. Um, if they're less than 32 weeks gestational age, which we try to do our Ballard scores to get the approximate age because moms don't know how, how far along they were. Um, you're going to do NG tube if it's less than 32 weeks because neurologically they're not um, developed enough to know that suck, suck, swallow, breathe, neurologic rhythm and reflex. Um, there's a lot of aspiration risk in that 32 to 34 weeks, you've got some gray area. Probably you'll just do an NG tube and watch them and, and see how they do. Um, try to have mom feed them sitting up. And then at greater than 34, you can usually do a PO. So we've got the whole total fluids and um, feeding protocol, which you would become very, very strong at. You're increasing your, your total fluids by 20 mg per kg per day. You're looking at the weights, you're graphing it. This is this kid's graph. So that kid, as you can see, since birth was shooting down, dying. And then we got that kid at day 15 and then immediately he started increasing in his growth. So praise God for that. Yeah. Do you do lumbar punctures before you do sepsis? All the time. Yeah. You get really good at lumbar punctures and do them all the time. Um, and I, I just wanted to do a quick note about the emotional side. So I'd been in Africa about two months at this point, and I that this just hit me like really, really hard, like a ton of bricks. Just like, how can this be that I'm running with this? emaciated child and I just kept seeing like I was holding that child and I was sprinting and I and he was gasping and then like his eyes were looking at me and I was saying you know just hold on like we're, we're, just hold on we're going to take care of you you know it's going to be okay and I just I went home that night and every time I closed my eyes I just kept seeing it play over and over and over again and I was like wow I'm having like a vicarious trauma response so um I have a prayer team back in Southern California, which is where I'm from. They prayed powerfully for me and I was able to just grieve and spend tons of time with God. And, you know, I'm lamenting, like, how can we not, how can we prevent this from happening? And then, you know, I was like, we need some NICU doctors. Like I, you know, I'm learning the best, absolute best I can, but I, I'm not a NIC, you know, I'm not PEDS NICU fellowship, but, you know, God was like, but you're the one who came and I will teach you. And, um, so praise God. And he just really, really helped me reframe things. He like, this hospital has been here seven years. He's, and God said to me, I want you to, for a couple of days, just look at every single patient you, you treat. And if that hospital didn't exist, would they live or not? And the person after person, after person, after person, it was like, no, if we didn't, ex if our hospital wasn't here, they'd be dead. And so we're saving so many lives. And then I, I just need to go to God and grieve for the, the ones that don't make it. Luckily, this, this uh, serving kid did make it. And then being a Christian physician, of course, I pray, pray, pray all the time, um, listen to God's voice. There was one time where I felt like God told me to check an HIV that had nothing to do with the presenting complaint. And I check it all the time and praise God, HIV is usually negative. But this time it was positive. Same thing happened with checking syphilis. Um, I also heard God's voice one time. I was on the day shift and all of a sudden it was like 11, 1130. And I just like, stood up and I was like, I need to go see Peeps 13 in the NICU. And they had, and I'm walking over there and the baby was in mom's arms, had just aspirated milk and gone limp. Um, 
as I, as I was walking up. So I listened to the heartbeat, heartbeat 60 and a neonate. So grab that child, you know, I'm asking for Ambu bag suction, crash cart, you know, we, we suction that kid, Ambu bag, the, the pulse ox up and the heart rate comes up and the kid lives. And I'm like, whoa, God. <laughs> so praise God for everything that he does, um, teaches us. So if you rotate in Togo, all of these things will become just bread and butter. You'll get really great at them. Plus you'll get really great at giving anti-venom for snakes. So we've got vipers, so you can avoid them. Just don't go out in the field. Um, I've had tons of herbicide ingestion for suicide attempts. I'm good at pushing atropine if it's, uh, depending on which type they ingested. I'm good at NG tube suctioning. Had a 29 weeker who, 29 week pregnant mom who came in and they, you know, they, they cart in this limp woman and I'm like, what happens? And then I find out and I'm like, NG tube, suction that stuff out. So we got 400 cc's of this thick stuff. And I'm like, oh. So uh, you get plenty of exercise on your triage days. So good times. Um, great, great um, opportunity for getting better at NICU, PICU and being prepared to go overseas. Charts are also awesome. It's easy for me to take care of 40 to 60 patients because I'm not spending my time charting. You can see my itty bitty little charts. They are very functional. They're like very to the point, very practical. I'm not wasting my time doing computers. It's awesome. Um, so this is an example of hospital, clinic, and prescriptions in the outfit. Okay, now we're gonna do some crazy cases. This just shows you the ingenuity that you get to have in another country and when you don't have the exact same resources and all that stuff. So um, we need to think outside the box for these. All right, who knows what this is? Monkeypox. So I had a case of this and um, the doctor I was with was, he had been in the US more, more freshly than I had. So he's like, oh, this is monkeypox. And I made fun of him. Because um, <laughs> I was thinking it was some crazy U.S. disease, and those crazy U.S. people are freaking out about something that doesn't matter. And anyway, um, but then I looked up pictures, and I was like, "Oh, dang, yeah, that was monkeypox." <laughs> um, it's just like chickenpox. Yeah, it's actually not a big deal at all. I also found out it's from West Africa, so I was in West Africa, and I'm like, "Oh, it's from here." Um, he was totally fine. We didn't even have the antivirals on formulary that, that you can use for him, but he was two weeks out. He was just like chickenpox. He's fine. It's not a big deal. All right. Who wants to read this case? 65 year old male with epigastric mass growing in size over We can palpate this sized hard mass in the epigastric region. Okay, what are you going to do? CT scan. We don't have CT scan. <laughs> All right, somebody said ultrasound. Yes. All right. Um, and what what are you thinking this could be? Yeah, tumor of of yeah. So I found that it was the stomach. It looks like this. So this is the actual picture. Um, I talked it through with a long-termer and he said, well, for all of the different types of gastric cancer, the only one we could treat is a maltoma. Um, 
a malt lymphoma. So I pulled up pictures and compared my picture to malt's pictures. And I was like, well, actually it does look similar. So we're just gonna go ahead and treat him empirically, have him follow up and we'll see. So we'll give him a chance. So I do, I ultrasound all day long. It absolutely affects my management, my treatment, uh, my diagnosis. I love it. So, all right, case eight, who wants to read it? female in your hospital develops severe abdominal distension. She has just vomited times one of bloody bilious. What's next? All right, what are you going to do? Yes. NG tube, what are you going to do for a diagnosis? X-ray. All right, this is our x-ray. What's wrong with this x-ray? What's that circular thing in the bottom part of the abdomen? Maybe. How are we going to find out? Ultrasound. <laughs> All right. So our bladder ultrasound shows it is indeed the bladder. It is very large. I, I go up to the kidneys. I see hydro bilaterally. So that also supports my diagnosis. Um, what's this stuff that I see in the bottom of the bladder there? Yeah, blood, mass, sediment, something. How am I going to figure it out? Roll her. Yes. So I keep that probe on. I have her move and it moves with her. So I'm like, okay, good. Not a congenital um, tumor. All right. We tried to place that Foley three, three, four attempts. Couldn't get it through. So surgery placed a super pubic cath and we saved her life. So she didn't die of renal failure. All right. Pictures of the compound. Um, as you can see, we can, we get some really fun rains that pound through. It's really, really, really nice. It cools us off. It's super hot in Togo. That bicycle is my bike ride to work. Um, I feel like, uh, like kind of like Dr. Quinn medicine woman meets Mary Poppins, uh, West Africa. Cause I'm in my, like, and I'm bicycling. It's not a horse, you know, but it's anywhere. It's, it's so much fun. <laughs> um, We've got so many visitors, short-term visitors that come and go all the time. We have a guest house and a dining hall. So the extrovert in me is very happy because I get to hang out with all the short-termers all the time. And, um, and as you can see, this is my favorite skirt. So that's why it's a picture of it. I've got lots of skirts. All right, next three cases. These are common cases we see in the US, but in Togo, you're gonna deal with them differently. So case nine, who wants to read it? 75-year-old man comes into the ER on your night shift for fatigue for the last two days. Um, heart rate's 40, um, no acute distress, bradycardic, regular rhythm, passes out when he stands up. All right, what are you going to do? He's okay, actually. EKG, what else? Yeah, I didn't check orthostatics because I knew they would be bad. <laughs> so he doesn't look hypobulemic and when I when he's like sitting there he's totally fine if he was good yeah what are we going to look on it for echo yeah we could check for that would that explain his bradycardia all right what do you think could be the cause of the bradycardia heart attack sick sinus What's hypotoxin? Yeah. 
So insecticide, we don't have chagas actually. Um, insecticide poisoning. Um, what else? That's common in the US for bradycardia. I took too much of the metoprolol. All right, what else? I don't, I should find out. I don't think we do, but people eat a lot of plants. Um, Secondary or third degree heart block. Yes, yeah. So our heart blocks um, and then hypothyroidism. So, all right. So it's kind of a combo of etiologies in the US and in specific to Togo. So your, your immediate next steps, you're going to do your ABCs. So I sit him down in the e, ER bed. Um, I got the rest of my vitals. I put them on a monitor. I got my EKG. It showed sinus Brady. Um, no heart block was, was going on. Um, tried to ask him about had he had recent chest pain. He said, no, I can't get a troponin because we don't have those. So what are two ways that I can look for uh, an MI? Echo, what am I looking for in my echo? Yes, if you cheated and looked, that's okay. Um, yeah, so I didn't see any regional wall motion abnormality. Um, he denied chest pain, EKG didn't show any signs of, of a recent um, heart attacks. Um, he didn't have any heart block. He didn't, hadn't taken any beta blockers. He didn't take any insecticides. Um, TSH I checked. So I did give him some ACS treatment. I had aspirin, statin, Lovenox. Um, I put him on, gave him some atropine and it came up nicely. I tried to put him on pacer pads, but we couldn't find the right ones that would fit. So I'm like, well, well what am I gonna do for this guy? I'm in Togo in the middle of nowhere. I can't get a pacemaker for him. <laughs> I can't do a cardiac cat. Um, I can't find some reversible cause. So what am I going to do? Right. Right. And all of us eventually are going to die and we go to one of two places. So it's the middle of the night. I sit there and every two to three hours, his blood pressure goes down to the 30s. I push some atropine and it comes up, but he's not gonna like hang out with us and get be on atropine for the rest of his life. Um, so I kept him alive until the morning when the chaplains could meet with him. So at least he could get a chance to hear about Christ before it was the end. Um, so yeah, a little different. All right, next case, who wants to read this? <clears throat> Old male presents with acute right-sided weakness. Last known normal last night, 20 hours ago. Uh, heart rate of 90, speed 52, 40, 130. Thyroid distress. strength in the right upper extremity, right low extremity. Blood sugar is 110. You guys know for acute strokes, always check a blood sugar, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Some people, they've had an old stroke and then they will show up with a, like acute stroke symptoms, but it's just hypoglycemia is causing exacerbation of their old symptoms. So you'll find that they're hypoglycemic, you push dextrose and all of a sudden their stroke symptoms disappear. So always, just always in your strokes, check that. All right, so how do we know if it's an ischemic or a hemorrhagic stroke? CT scan. CT scan, which we can't get. So... <laughs> By LPM and he's hemorrhaged, he might have a herniation. So um, anyway, I just, you know, 
ischemic is 90% of the time, hemorrhagic is 10%. So you could roll the dice that way, but his BP was super high. So I was like, you know what, we're just gonna, we're just gonna not give aspirin because there's a high chance that this could be hemorrhagic. I mean, you have to make these choices on the fly there in the middle of the night, you know, no, no support. So he needed BP control, whether it's ischemic or hemorrhagic, you don't want him to be sitting in the SVP 240s. So what are you gonna do? you have available? I've got labetalol, I've got hydralazine for IV meds. Labetalol. All right, so I give labetalol, it does nothing. I give more labetalol, it does nothing. I give hydralazine, it does nothing. And then they're like, doctor, there's a stat C-section and these twins are fetal distress and we need you right now. And I have to go resuscitate these twins. And I'm like, dang it, if I were in the US, I would order my carnitine drip. And everything would be great. The, the nurses would just titrate this and control this. And according to the parameters I put, but I don't have that here. What am I going to do? But wait, I can make a drip. MacGyver. <laughs> 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 it's totally, yeah. So I look on up to date and I look at our dosages and the titration recommendations and I throw, throw it together to order, order instructions real, really quickly and go resuscitate my twins in the OR. So um, you have to make slower adjustments. The reason why we like cardine drips is because it is uh, fast acting. And so you can titrate more rapidly. Watch out with your labella. It's a little longer acting. So you want to make slower titrations. Really watch out. You don't want to get cumulative hypotension from too much doses. Um, and anyway, that's what I did. All right, next case. Who wants to read it? 65-year-old male presents with mild headache. He is walking and talking and has no other symptoms. It's afebrile, heart rate 87, blood pressure is elevated. No distress, respiratory, regular rate and rhythm. Five out of five strength in all extremities. So totally normal guy walks in. I want to admit him or because I just want to gradually get his BP down and then we can see him and follow up because I don't want him to stroke out. So I want to admit him, get him gradually down. Then he can follow up and we can get him, gradually get him down to the 120 over 80. So I put him, put him in an ER bed because I'm going to do an echo. Just make sure there's no, you know, I was thinking like LVH from, from uh, this long-term um, uncontrolled hypertension. Um, what are you going to give for your first med probably? Sinopid. You can. I like labetalol. Um, I like hydralazine too, but yeah. for him, I gave labetalol because his heart rate was um, greater than 60. So um, he, he sits down in the ER bed, then all of a sudden he, he sits up and he's grabbing his chest and people are not dramatic in Togo. So if they're sitting up in there like, ah, 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 I'm like, oh crap, there's something real going on. This is not drama person. This is something real. So what do I think is going on? Probably. All right. Well, before I can even do anything, he falls back. He's unconscious. He starts seizing. He's diaphoretic. So what on earth do we do first besides panicking? We seize. Yes. All right. So. <laughs> All right. What do you think is the cause of his symptoms? He's actually not malaria. What's the only, what's, okay, so, yeah, sure, something like that. So the only difference between me 
walking in fine and then him going through all this dramatic stuff is that I gave him labetalol. Um, so I, of course, go through my ABCs. I go through a long differential. Um, you can skim through it here. You know, I can't do a CTA to look for a PE or dissection or anyway, I, I, I did look for, um, you know, ultrasound just to make sure that I didn't see any hemorrhage and worse than pouch or anything like that. But the big takeaway is that this was his BP. Oh. That was his BP before. Crazy high. So this dude, the other previous dude decided not to res respond at all to levitable. This guy crashed his pressures and heart rate with just one tiny dose. And I've given levitable hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. I've never seen someone do this. So his chest pain, I'm thinking probably he wasn't getting enough perfusion. So if he had a little stenosis, um, suddenly he's having real chest, anginal chest pain. Um, the seizure, what's the seizure from? Decreased perfusion. Yeah, he's not getting enough perfusion to the brain. So I did, I immediately saw his BP had sunk and I immediately lowered the head of bed. I did not give him a seizure med because I'm like, no, we're just going to treat the cause, not the symptoms. I didn't want to snow him because I wanted him to be able to wake up for me. So I, you know, and of course I'm, there's a differential here. I go through all this stuff. I you know, we get an EKG, but his BP had come up a little bit. There's no STEMI. Um, I gave IV fluids. It's not coming up. And then suddenly, does anyone know the reversal agent for IV labetalol? All right. So suddenly it just came to me. This is what I need to give. So we gave an amp of calcium gluconate, which is in all the crash carts. His BP came up and his heart rate came up and he started to wake up. And so, uh, praise God for internet. I'm literally like looking on up to date and I'm like, can I give it a second time? And it was like, yes, you can. So I gave it a second time. BP comes up even more, heart rate comes up even more. And suddenly now he's awake and kind of dazed, but he's alive. And it literally was like normal person headed toward the grave, now awake and alive. And I'm, so it was, it was a lot. And I was like, Jesus, thank you. Amazing. Um, Cause you, that, that knowledge had to come really fast. <laughs> that recall. So. That was a super cool case. All right, now for some animals. <laughs> this is my, yeah, it's a cute cat. I've got um, Frederic is my gecko who lives with me in my house. <laughs> um, lots of beetles, moths. Um, the goats love jumping on the termite mound. They're super cute. Uh, that monkey adopted that family and comes to them when they call. The dung beetles are, we're doing their, their roll, ball rolling thing, which is super cute. And then the viper up top um, didn't bite anyone, so he was okay. And he's gonna be used to make uh, anti-venom. Cool. All right, we're, I know we're, uh, we got like five more minutes, so I will run through this. So this is, a, this is a patient who I was in clinic that called me out to the triage and they're like, there's, there's a 20 something year old healthy guy. He's on the floor, he's diaphoretic, he's lethargic. What are you guys thinking? Heat stroke, cardiomyopathy, what else? Hypoglycemia, malaria, yeah, all kinds of things. Toxins. Toxins, yeah, and they don't do drugs there, but they, they'll, they'll cook the plant, tons of plants and, and eat them, like tons of herbs. So um, anyway, we threw him on a gurney, rushed him to the ER, and I felt like I had superhuman strength to like throw this grown man on a gurney. <laughs> Um, and yes, indeed, it was hypoglycemia. His blood sugar was 32. We gave him D50 and he was fine. So again, have to act rapidly. 
this was a severe uh, preeclampsia with severe hypertension. Um, they, she'd gotten all the stuff, the Cytotec, Foley balloon, Tocin, she was on IV mag. Her, she was spiking severe range blood pressures consistently, even with IV, getting the IV labetalol. Anyway, it just became time to call it and I was, she wasn't changing. The cervix changed from four to four and I was like, you know, we're done. We're gonna we're gonna section this this girl before she uh, seizes on us and kills herself and her baby. So, note to all of you guys: being family trained is awesome because I love OB world and I get to go in there. And the non OB trained people, medicine doctors, are like terrified of OB land and want to stay away. And we are like, yeah, I love this. So, um, we do some interesting peds case. We had a pediatrician who came by. So when she was back in America, I curbsided her on this case, and it turns out it was echo virus that was causing rash and then skin sloughing and all the upper respiratory stuff. So that was just really fun. I, of course, LP'd this kid, make sure there's tons of malaria or meningitis, made sure it wasn't meningitis. And then um, what are you gonna do for all these secretions? What's a, another possibility? Yes. So I, looked it up. I was like, why not? It's worth a shot. I'll see if we've got glycopyrrolate on our, on our, mar, on our um, formulary. We did. I looked up, can you give it to kids on up to date? Yes, you can. And I found the dosing and I ordered it. And the nurses were like, what the heck is this? And I was like, just trust me. <laughs> but I've never used it. We had it on formula and I've never used it. Um, and it worked like a, like really, really well on this kid. 24 hours, this kid would have decreased um, secretions because we were having to like race in and suction this kid because um, he kept trying to like choke and die. So praise God for like a pyrone. Um, Also had a postpartum lower extremity edema. What's your differential for edema? Yes, yes. Awesome. What are you going to do for it? What are you going to do to work her up? Ultrasound. When you order an ultrasound, who does your ultrasound? You do. Yeah, so it's super fun. And I got labs, made sure it wasn't renal failure, liver failure. Um, BP was fine, so it wasn't postpartum preeclampsia. Um, I looked at her. I did her DVT lower extremity Dopplers. They were negative. I looked at her heart. We've seen postpartum cardiomyopathy. She was not one of those. Um, so we just, and filariasis, of course, is a consideration. So we gave her just a trial of some diuretics and she was fine. So we didn't need to go further after that. We do a lot of congenital heart disease. I'm trying to get really good at congenital um, neonatal echoes because we send a lot of kids to America or to Tenwick Hospital in, in um, Kenya, um, or we can get them to Switzerland, I think. So, and now we're kind of a referral center people will refer their babies with heart disease to us. Um, all right, we're gonna just breeze through some, some photos. Is it okay if we go just like two minutes over? Yeah. Super quick, so um, this is our community. We've got great expat community. Again, we are lots of fun. We like to mess around. We had a storm one time when we got in our motos and we raced through the puddles and got super soaked and muddy. Uh, we have card game nights, we have movie nights. This is our town. It is super hot, deserty, uh, 100 to 120 frequently. Does get cooler at night. We do have AC in the room. We get to hang out with lots of animals. I wanted to save this chicken's life, and my friend stole the chicken back from me and was like, "No, this is going to a family to feed them." Dang it! <laughs> so I like animals. 
Um, I got to play with the baby goat. That was super cute. And this is really, really special to me. So we deal with an unreached people group, the Fulani. And we got to, so my translator's Fulani. I got to hang out with his family. There's kind of a refugee crisis that was going on that last week I was there. Um, so I was directly involved in it. Like when you're there, you're there. You're in the middle of it all. So I'm, I'm giving like some money for some, some immediate food because he'd stopped eating. And suddenly he's feeding 16 family members that had fled. And I'm like, you need to eat. Like, you know, he's my friend. Like I can't not have my friend not eating. That's not cool. But um, we, the chaplains then got involved and they're getting this family food and helping them build up so they can provide for themselves. Um, and I just got to hang out with his kids. I'm so excited. I'm a long-termer. I get to go back. I get to keep building these local relationships. I'm so excited about that. So the main takeaways, God is amazing. He took my, my IHI experience of three years as an adult hospitalist in a super huge hospital to prepare me to be an everything hospitalist treating all kinds of crazy things in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, I want you guys to, to really strongly consider coming and rotating with me. You will have a lot of fun. I also really, really uh, recommend international missions. I plan to spend the rest of my life overseas doing international missions. Um, it's just an amazing experience. If you're passionate about any public health stuff, there's some huge questions that I have in my mind. Like how do we prevent malnutrition or how do we prevent malaria? Will people, would people even use malaria mosquito nets if we gave them to them? Because you know, there's no point in buying mosquito nets if they're not gonna use them. So let's, let's look at the cultural, and, you know, cultural barriers and all that. I definitely would say come tonight, we're gonna talk about very different things. It's not an academic lecture. It'll be a missions lecture. We get to talk about the fun things about being a female in a male-dominated culture, how does that go? And, and, you know, with me, the doctor, and I've got all male nurses and, um, you know, do they respect me or do they not? And how, how do I navigate that? And how do I navigate that as a woman in a Muslim culture, I'm not supposed to look at men in the eyes and they, you know, touching a man for an exam, like, you know, Muslim culture, um, just some really fun things like that and unreached people groups and how are we spreading the gospel? How are we making a difference? How are we reaching people? I've got a lot, whole lot to say about that. If you or anyone you know want to support a missionary, I'm fully funded for two and a half years, but I'm raising support now for when my two and a half years are over. And um, definitely write down my email address if you want to ask about coming and rotating. And that's it. Thank you. We'll take like a really quick two minute bathroom break and then be back for chaplain time. No, I want to stop. That would be pretty cool. I was like, oh, mango. Good though. Sweet. Yeah. Good. 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 Good.